0: But also turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. If the children who are going to go to choir practice would be dismissed at this time and they'll be returned back to you or back to the nursery, wherever they are collected from. If you're using a Bible from the church, you could turn to page 3 and then turn to page 1041. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. And then in Revelation chapter 21 In verse 3, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And we're thankful, Father, that it is a living truth, it is alive and, and at work, even in our midst this morning. And So we would pray for the work of your word in our hearts, by the very enablement of your spirit, may you show us, Father, wonderful things from your word, specifically may we see the wonders and the glories and the beauties of the Lord Jesus Christ or we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, to understand Christmas, we must understand what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. We must grasp not only what the gospel accounts of Matthew and Luke say about the birth and arrival of Jesus, And not only what all four Gospels teach us about the life of our Lord, uh, the life that he lived, and the things that he taught, and the death that he died, and the historical fact that he was raised from the dead, we must also understand the broader context of what the Bible teaches us from Genesis to Revelation. For it is through the entire Bible uh, that we are provided with a fuller sense of what Christmas is about. We started with the third page in the Bible, and we read from the second to the last page of the Bible. And uh, time does not permit us to Fill in what's in between the two. But we read those because those tell us much about the point of Christmas. There is a vitally important point that we have read from our verses this morning as to why there was a need for Christmas. Early in the Bible, from what we've just read, there there was a major problem that occurred, a catastrophic problem that unfolded, a problem with dire and deadly consequences. And yet, by the end of the Bible, that passage we just read, the problem that occurred in Genesis 3 was resolved by Revelation 21. The problem and the consequences of the problem that surface early in the pages of the scripture are remedied. This morning I want us to think about the point of Christmas. I want to do that for two broad reasons. First of all, I want to do that For any and everyone who is here this morning who does not truly understand the significance of the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, this thing we call Christmas, I want you to understand something vitally important about the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, I want to say a few things to those who know about this. And what I really hope to do this morning that in this it won't be what I traditionally do in terms of a exposition of scripture it's really more of maybe a meditation uh, what I really hope to do is to model for us how we could engage in a conversation with somebody outside of the walls of this church that somebody that you would have the occasion even in the in the two weeks now leading up to Christmas, to help them to understand what's the point of this thing we call Christmas. What we call Christmas, what I connote to be by that, the arrival of Christ, is in fact the remedy and the resolution to the problem that the Bible reveals to us. So let's dive in. Let's get going. Let's. I. 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 I want to. I want to hover over uh, the two small portions of scripture that I just read: Genesis 3, 22 to twenty-four and Revelation twenty-one verse three. We've read from the first book of the Bible and we've read from the last book of the Bible, and uh, our readings that I've just. Uh, Let us through this morning are not only the bookends to the pages of scripture, they also frame or provide us with the context as to what's the point of Christmas. Why did Jesus need to come? Now, from the verses that I just read in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve in in that reading, are being removed from the garden. But more more and more devastating than that, they are being removed, they are being banished, if you would, not merely from the garden, but they are being removed, they are being banished from the presence of the Lord. The angelic beings now were posting guard at the eastern entrance of the Garden of Eden to ensure that there would be no unauthorized entry into the garden. Now, having just noted that, that Adam and Eve had been removed from the garden, removed from the presence of the Lord, it's it's, it's helpful, it's important to quickly review uh, what has just happened prior to that. In particular, it's really important to know what has happened that has resulted in them being banished from the presence of the Lord, which they had experienced in the garden. So stepping back for a moment we should consider well what was going on in the garden just prior to Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden and removed from experiencing the presence of the Lord. Well, Genesis chapter one orients us to reality. It teaches us that there is only one God And this one true God made all things. And this one God, whom the scripture later clarifies for us, is comprised as a community of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This one true God made mankind, male and female he made mankind, and he placed them in a garden with a command that now starting in that garden, they would fill the earth, they would have dominion over it, they would have, if you would, a royal assignment given to them starting in that special place where God placed them. Mankind was to live in that place provided to them with the assignment given to them as they lived and as they enjoyed the presence of God. You see, what, makes, what made the garden so idyllic was, was not the beautiful flowers and plants and trees and animals. As beautiful as they were, God made them. But what made the garden so fulfilling was that God made the garden and put, it, put Adam and Eve in that garden and dwelt with Adam and Eve in that garden. You see, the aim of creation why God made you and me and the birdies and the fishes and everything else, the aim of creation was that mankind, male and female, would live in and enjoy the presence of God. I would just add as a sidebar, not because God was lacking in something, not because God was lonely and he needed some friends in addition to the birdies and the fishes. In fact, it's just the complete opposite. God didn't lack anything. He certainly wasn't lonely. He had existed in a perfect relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There was a beautiful, uninterrupted community of love and care and deference within the triune. Godhead no god didn't create us to live in his presence because he was lonely or lacked in fact, he created us to live in his presence because there was an abundance of love and grace and care and and, and out of the overflow of his abundance he, he wanted to share that with what he created so that God would magnify his own glory. God would glorify himself by enriching all that he made, enriching in particular mankind, male and female, enriching them with his very presence. Just a word about the presence of the Lord. On the one hand, The Bible teaches us that God is everywhere. There are no limits with God. He has no limits to his power and authority. He has no limits to his knowledge and wisdom. He has no limits to his location. He has no spatial restrictions, if you would. There is no place that God is not. But this morning, when I'm speaking of the presence of the Lord, I'm not speaking of the presence of the Lord in that sense. God is everywhere, every place, all the time. But I am using, because the Bible also speaks of the presence of the Lord in another sense. There is a special presence of the Lord that speaks of his particular relational presence. That God is everywhere all the time in every place, but God especially commits himself to be present with his people in a special And it is in this special way that mankind was made uh, to know and to experience and to feel the satisfaction of. God was everywhere when he made uh, everywhere in the world that he made, everywhere that he spoke into existence. And he was in the garden with Adam and Eve in a very special way. And they knew of that special relational reality. But we just read they got kicked out of the garden. We just read that they were banished, removed from the presence of the Lord. You see, this special presence of God, even though God is still everywhere, every place all the time, this special presence of God was disrupted. The aim of creation would be disrupted. Before Adam and Eve had gotten too far into their assignment, To, if you would, expand this garden experience to the ends of the earth, they rebelled against the Lord. Adam and Eve disobeyed the command of God in eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this, this this insurrection by Adam and Eve was rooted in their desire to live autonomously, to live independent of God, that they could do better, they thought, on their own. They could strike out on their own without being pestered by or bothered by the Special relational presence of the Lord. There was something defective, in fact, inside of them in terms of their desires that they could live apart from the presence of God. And they made a choice. And immediately their rebellion altered them. An immediate effect of their sin is that they now hid from the presence of God in the garden. Their guilt and their shame left them feeling. Alienated from God, instinctively, I suppose, they realized that it would not be safe to be in the presence of a holy God now that they were in an unholy state of rebellion and insurrection. But there were not only the immediate effects for Adam and Eve, there was also The divinely ordained consequences. And we just read that. The ordained consequence. Not only did they hide from God, but God tossed them out of his special presence. Put guards at the door to keep them from getting back in to the special presence of God. You see, the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin and insurrection is they were removed from the presence of God. A just judgment by God. Adam and Eve were placed outside the garden. God would still be present outside the garden in that first sense of the presence of the Lord that we talked about a second ago. He would still protect them. He would still provide for them, but his special relational presence was removed And in, instead of Adam and Eve fulfilling their royal responsibilities of spreading God's presence and, and, and blessing throughout the world as, they're originally, as they were originally assigned, humanity would now spread its sin and destruction and, their, and its curse and its rebellion to the ends of the earth. The original aim of creation was now impaired. You and I were made to live in the presence of God. You and I were made to live in the loving, wise, and empowering presence of God. And we got kicked out in Adam. God still provides for his creation. The first and immediate proof of God's faithful, loving, kind provision could just be demonstrated if we paused for a moment and went... You didn't earn that. You didn't build that. You and I were gifted that. Every breath we take, even the breath that we take that we would then out of that breath exhale curses against God. Even if that's the case, we were gifted the oxygen to, to to. to to do that, you see God's care for what he made is sustained even though we are now cursed and judged and removed from the special presence of God. Now what that means at least in terms of our focus this morning is that while on the one hand that we, we can still bodily live on this earth without that special presence of God on the other hand living apart from the special presence of God results in even still this morning our souls languishing our souls thirst for something that can't be satisfying to the things around us. Our souls thirst for one thing above anything and everything else. Our souls thirst for God. The famous French philosopher, Blaise Pascal, said it this way. There is a God shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be fulfilled by any created thing, but only by God. Or the early church father Augustine said it this way because God has made us. For himself. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Those are just two quotes that illustrate the problem that you and I exist in at this moment. We live in God's universe and he sustains this universe, he protects and he provides, and yet our hearts are empty. Our hearts are vacuous. Our hearts are restless. Our souls are thirsty. We are bankrupt apart from knowing and receiving and enjoying the special presence of God. And so that's why I read to us from the second to the last page of the Bible. We've leaped frog a whole bunch of time and chapters and years because it shows us that when history is finally done, the Bible it has helped us given us direction, given us hope, given us everything that we need, for it gives us a glimpse at the end of our Bibles and we read what we've already read. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Adam and Eve were kicked out from the special presence of God. And the unfolding storyline of the Bible, as the plot thickened with Adam and Eve being removed from the presence of God, the, 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 the plot line resolves when we read the second to the last page and we know that we will be returned to the presence of God. In fact, the statement that we just read in Revelation 21.3, it is used over a dozen times in one form, variation, or another, and probably even multiple times beyond that in other kind of references and innuendos. But, but this promise that, that, behold, the dwelling place of God will be with uh, man, and, and that we will dwell in his presence, and that God will dwell in our midst, that becomes, an, throughout the Old Testament, a sustaining promise To to impart the abiding hope, to empower all who would believe in the promises of God. The presence of God, aim of creation. The aim of creation that was disrupted, the aim of creation that was interrupted. But the presence of God, God dwelling with his people is still at the heart of God's plans and God's purposes, God's aim for his creation. The presence of God, the special presence of God is still the reason why you and I Exist. And that aim, it's completed. Now, that sets the stage for what role Christmas plays in the aim of creation. Why is there Christmas? Why did Jesus come? He came to reestablish the original aim and goal of creation. He came, before it's all said and done, to recreate all things, all heaven and earth and, and and everything in between. And yet one of the fascinating aspects of Christmas, the first coming of Christ, that is that in the birth and in the arrival of Christ, not only is the aim of creation reestablished, but notice the, the agency by which the original aim gets reestablished. If the aim is we get to dwell in the presence of God, then God doesn't just push a button or send a guy named Harry or even dispatch an angel called Michael. No, to reestablish the aim of creation, God himself becomes the agent of restoring and redeeming creation. God himself comes down and becomes present with his people. Remember the words that the angel spoke to Joseph, Joseph as he just discovered that the young girl that he was betrothed or engaged to is pregnant? The angel stops him before he puts her away and says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then he quotes from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Just so we don't miss the point, Matthew puts it in brackets, or at least that's how we have it in our English translations, which means... God with us. The aim of creation is back online because the agent of creation, God himself, the son of God, the second member of the Godhead, sets aside the exercise of all of his rights and prerogatives as God, doesn't cease to become God, but takes on flesh and becomes a man, becomes a man whose life would be notarized as one of obedience, becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And there, as he dies on the cross, he carries out what the angel said to Joseph. He will save his people from their sins. The very thing that separated Adam and Eve from the presence of God in the garden. The very thing that, as we've inherited it from Adam and Eve, the very thing that separates you and I from the presence of God, the special presence of God in our lives is our sin. And the very thing that Jesus has come to do is to take our sins upon himself, the perfect son of God. And at the cross take upon himself the punishment our of our sins to to swap out uh, our sins with his righteousness he gives us his righteousness he takes our sins and then he uh, he suffers the the curse and the punishment and the judgment the condemnation of our sins there at the cross, even as what gets imparted to us is the very righteousness of Jesus so that we could once again safely live in the special presence of God. Or as Peter would explain it briefly in 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The aim of creation, both at this present moment and even as it will once again, even in its fullest sense, be experienced, the aim of creation living as a human being in the special presence of God, is now found through trusting in, turning to, relying upon, acknowledging the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone took our sins. He alone made sufficient payment for our sins. He alone satisfied the justice of God. He alone delivered us from the trappings of the devil he alone removed our guilt and our shame he alone removed our sin as the east is from the west he alone brought us to god Amen. so we have christmas we have christmas that christ's redemptive presence god with us god that christ's redemptive presence secures the blessing of God's relational presence. That's the point of Christmas. Christ came and laid down his life and got us and now brings us back to the Father. Merry Christmas. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And Father, we pray now that the Spirit of God would embed these truths in our hearts and souls. Father, not just so that we know a thing or two, but so that, Father, our hearts are satisfied. Our hearts are satisfied because our hearts are restored to the point that we were made to experience your special presence. Father, give us glad hearts this Christmas. Glad hearts because we know the thing behind the thing. We know why there is even such a thing as Christmas. We know that Jesus came and got us and brought us back to you. So Father, fill our hearts with gladness. And give us a testimony to give an answer to others who ask of us the hope that we have within us. So, Father, may we share this Christmas hope of life in your presence through the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.